Part 4. Solutions, Testimonials, and Services It is important to understand the difference between a determination of deficiency which can be challenged on the basis that it is arbitrary, and an assessment which has technical requirements. An assessment already made can only be shown to be erroneous or procedurally improper. You cannot establish an assessment as arbitrary because, if you thought the determination of deficiency that led to the assessment was arbitrary, you could have challenged it in tax court before it was assessed. And if you didn't do that, you could still request audit reconsideration as long as the tax remains not fully paid. Once the tax is fully paid, you would need to make a case for a refund. But this would require you to establish that the assessment is erroneous. An assessment already made is presumed correct once IRS meets their burden of production to show the assessment was properly made in accordance with their administrative process. So, to challenge it in court, you would have to establish that the tax amount assessed is erroneous. And that could be because the determination of deficiency made by the examiner that the assessment is based on was arbitrary or erroneous. In the alternative, you could challenge the assessment for more technical reasons such as the assessment is untimely, made after the statute of limitations, or contend that the IRS failed to make a procedurally proper assessment. IRS has burden of production in any court proceeding to give evidence of a contemporaneous signed summary record of assessment. This is where requesting a signed summary record of assessment is valuable. Once you find out, without going to court, whether or not the IRS can meet its burden of production as to the assessment being properly made. From Telegram Chat Maybe I should start the conversation. Anyone who joins us later can go back and read from the beginning. I am a tax consultant specializing in legally opting out of income tax. This is the term I came up with to describe it. It's not an official term the IRS uses because they don't want you to know that opting out is even an option. Opting out the way I use the term means 100% legal avoidance of what would otherwise be your income taxes. The right to use any and all legal means to reduce your tax liability or altogether avoid what would otherwise be your taxes is a right every taxpayer has and which the Supreme Court of the U.S., SCOTUS, recognized as a right that cannot be doubted in Gregory v. Helvering, 1935. So there is no question you have the right to use any legal means to reduce or eliminate your income taxes. Famous judge learned, hand quote, Anyone may arrange his affairs so that his taxes shall be as low as possible. He is not bound to choose the pattern which best pays the treasury. There is not even a patriotic duty to increase one's taxes. Over and over again, the courts have said that there is nothing sinister in so arranging affairs as to keep taxes as low as possible. Everyone does it, rich and poor alike, and all do right, for nobody owes any public duty to pay more than the law demands. The IRS and the propaganda machine, which includes the vast majority of tax professionals, maintain the myth that every American is somehow automatically liable for tax, and that your legal means for reducing your tax are limited to 1. Specific deductions allowed in the Internal Revenue Code, and 2. Reducing the amount of money you bring in. So one big myth that comes from this is that the common assumption that opting out completely is impossible without taking a vow of poverty or leaving America and relinquishing your American citizenship or needing to argue with the IRS and or some judge to prove you are not liable for income tax. But the party making a claim is naturally the party who has the burden of proof. So the burden of proof is not on anyone to show that he is not liable for tax. A party who claims you are liable is the one who needs to be able to prove that claim. Another related myth is the idea that IRS can just decide you owe tax any old time or that you owe more tax and start taking your property willy-nilly. 
This is absurd. The IRS must have basis and evidence to assess you with a tax. Until a formal assessment is made that follows proper legal procedure established by Congress, no tax liability legally exists. An IRS assessment is made by recording the liability of the taxpayer in the office of the Secretary in accordance with rules or regulations prescribed by the Secretary. 26 U.S.C. Section 6203 the IRS satisfies its obligations under this statute when an assessment officer signs a summary record of assessment describing 1. The taxpayer's name and address 2. The character of the assessed liability 3. The taxable period, if any and 4. The amount of the assessment Treasury Registry Section 301.6203-1 So the IRS must have evidence to make an assessment. They also need your consent to make the assessment. When you file a return and make a self-assessment, you are consenting to allow IRS to assess a tax. A lot of people, therefore, think they can avoid income tax by simply refusing to file a return. The problem with that is that IRS can also rely on implied consent. If you refuse to file but IRS has evidence that indicates you are required to file, IRS can make a default assessment against you. So you don't have to prove a negative. But if there is evidence on the table that IRS may use to assess tax on you and you don't agree with that evidence, you have what is called the burden of production. You must produce some contrary evidence or else you will be tactically agreeing with the evidence the IRS has. Your tax return is evidence since it is a declaration made under penalty of perjury. It is, therefore, the testimony of a witness with personal knowledge. So the question I'm sure most people have is, how do I get started? What do I need to do to opt out? What are the most practical steps most people need to take? Short of an actual file 1040, I'm guessing that the W-2 or W-4 employment arm of the scam produces the most evidence of tax liability. But the 1099 contract tax forms also provide evidence of liability via third-party payer, correct? What are other ways the IRS manufactures evidence of tax liability? I think a lot of people would like to opt out but are afraid. Others are not afraid, but they don't know how, or varying degrees of each of the above. People need to understand the process, I would think, but many just want to get to the bottom line to all of this quickly. And I can understand that. But I also understand everybody has a different tax situation and it's hard to give blanket advice. But maybe explain some of the more common scenarios that might apply in many situations. This is getting way ahead of ourselves. I'm not here to give anyone any advice other than to think and question everything, research and reach their own conclusions. For getting started, you have to understand how you're opting in first. The way out is along the same path you came in, so to speak. There's no jumping ahead to which form do I fill out and tell me how I should fill it out. I'm sure many people just want the 10 second soundbite version. But that mentality is why we are in this mess as a country. You have to be deemed in the eyes of the law to have opted in to be liable for income tax because tax liability in USA works in a very contractual manner. The tax is not imposed by law on everyone in America. This would be absolutely impossible under our system of law, even though that's how the average person assumes the tax works. The biggest key to opting you in is your social security number. Not just that you have one, but the fact that most people have their SSN connected to every payment someone else makes to them for their labor or services. No law requires anyone to have a social security number or furnish a social security number to be hired for work. Yet try to get a job without one. You are in no position to say no to that demand. This is coercion. Yet it's presumed by the law that you willingly provided a social security number of your own free will. That's the initial step where your consent is seemingly obtained. All the obligations that arise as a result of that SSN connection. 
FICA withholding, federal and state, and even city or local income taxes. How else do you think it can be legal to tax you four to five times on the same money? They have the illusion of your consent. The SSN is the evidence. The law does not presume coercion. It presumes your SSN was obtained via your voluntary choice to furnish the SSN to the payer. So right from the get-go, there is a discrepancy, what the law presumes and what actually happened. I understand that, and you understand that, but sadly that is what most people want. The 10 second soundbite. I agree. I try to get people to research this stuff at least a little bit, but most people end up making little to no effort to do so. It's really sad that most people will make so little effort to understand their own slavery. Well, let's not invite those kinds of people to this chat. Nobody is asking anyone to do anything here. That's the first thing to get clear on. I've had people become clients and take action on this after years of exposure to this info. It's a paradigm shift. It does not happen in just a conversation or two. If you are red-pilled on anything, think about how long it took for you to get there. This is a place to learn that opting out legally is a real thing, that real people are doing it, and have been doing it for years, and to learn a little more about it. I personally have been legally opting out for about 20 years. I have a few American citizen clients with 10 plus tax years under their belt, where the IRS agreed they have non-resident aliens and that their tax was $0. At least one has earned six figures annually for most of those years, so this has nothing to do with how much you make. It has everything to do with knowing how the tax actually works, knowing what your rights are, and knowing how to deal successfully with the IRS and, for some, your state tax agency. I'll be inviting clients to participate in this chat. We just set up the group yesterday, so give me a minute on that. Let's be clear, this is not for most people, and it never will be. Look how many fools keep going along with this phony pandemic, for example. Unfortunately, rational thinking people are vastly outnumbered by these fools, so they continue to enjoy the illusion of being right. That's true for many things, including income tax. Just trying to generate some conversation. Hopefully others will join in. I never knew the depth and breadth of the brainwashed until 2020. I think that was a test to see how well their mind control works. The tax mind control has been working great for a long time. I had a few clients chime in on Twitter, though they most often did not ID themselves as clients, hoping they will be less shy and open up here in a more private chat group where they know they won't have to worry what their normie friends and family might think. There will always be those people who can't wait to tell you that you're going to jail someday and act like you were a meth addict or something in need of an intervention just because you are not a cowardly sheep like them and exercise your rights against the powers that shouldn't be. These clients have IRS account transcripts to prove IRS agreed their tax was $0 for multiple tax years and that IRS issued 100% refund of their income tax withholding. Some of my clients earn six figures and they still get all of their tax withholding back. We have gotten existing tax assessments removed completely, liens released, etc. Audits of my clients are very rare but we've gotten IRS to close multiple audits by agreeing that the client's tax is $0 and making no changes to their tax. There are lots of people who want to opt out, but are using methods that don't work. So this will be a good forum to debunk a lot of the crap some people have been falling for. Vast majority of tax truthers believe refusing to file a return is a must. I do not agree with that. I know, I was always part of the do not file crowd, but I see now the errors of that. It's the simplest way to start. And I can help non-filers even if they had tax assessed already, because at least they never expressly agreed that they owe tax for that year. That leaves the door open for them to opt out still for that tax year. It's possible to get IRS to stop demanding a return, but nothing stops them from raising the issue again later if they decide to do so. So there is a lack of certainty there. You can probably breathe easy on a tax year more than seven years ago, 
but legally there is no time limit for IRS to come after you as long as no return was filed. For a few years, my focus was to avoid filing. There were times when IRS just plowed ahead and issued a notice of deficiency anyway, no matter what we said. One of the big challenges in dealing with IRS is knowing what to do when the IRS does not respond the way you hope they would. It depends on how you respond to a demand to file. I have found that filing a return is the best weapon in your arsenal against the IRS, if you know how to use a return to your advantage. This is what Pete Hendrickson has attempted to do with his cracking the code method. I do not recommend it. Also, Erwin Schiff with his zero return method, also not recommended. If we are supposed to think that tax is imposed on all Americans on all sources of income worldwide, why did Congress not define United States person to include U.S. citizens, citizens of the United States, American citizens, American nationals, or nationals of the United States? Remember that 8 U.S.C. includes citizens of the United States in the definition of national of the United States. So whatever citizen is supposed to mean in the IRC definition of United States person, we know it does not necessarily include any and all American citizens. Rather, citizen can reasonably be construed to refer to a subset of the group citizen of the United States. In the context of knowing Congress cannot subject all American citizens to involuntary servitude, it becomes clear that this citizen income tax status has to be a voluntary choice made for each tax year. Of course, they bring in more revenue as long as Americans are not unaware that they have any choice. Thus, all the propaganda. No one looks at the law, let alone reads it with adequate comprehension. Even if you try, it is written deceptively. You have to connect some dots to get to the truth of it, but it's there. What's most telling is often what they do not say in the law. Things that they should say in the law if the tax actually works the way most people are conditioned to believe or assume. This is an ongoing conversation. It will be a good idea, I think, for anyone new to scroll up and read from the beginning, so the conversation does not get too repetitive. Forwarded from no thanks, IRS. The biggest problem with those methods is that both involve using a 1040 form, which is only for United States persons per Treasury regulations. See A6 of this regulation, Form of Return. Form 1040 is prescribed for general use in making the return required under this paragraph. Forwarded from SG. Yes, I learned a long time ago to avoid the 1040. There was speculation even back in the 90s that using the 1040NR was the proper way to go. But I just always avoided anything with 1040 in it. Also in that regulation, B. Return of non-resident alien individual. 1. Requirement of return. 1. In general, except as otherwise provided in subparagraph 2 of this paragraph, every non-resident alien individual other than one treated as a resident under section 6013G or H, who is engaged in trade or business in the United States at any time during the taxable year, or who has income which is subject to taxation under subtitle A of the code, shall make a return on Form 1040NR. The establishment encourages the myth that non-resident alien refers only to foreign nationals. This is not true. Nationals of the United States are included within the meaning of non-resident alien in the IRC. C3. Personal Exemption. The deduction for personal exemptions allowed by Section 151, except that only one exemption, shall be allowed under Section 151 unless the taxpayer is a resident of a contiguous country or is a national of the United States, IRC. IRC 873 concerns only non-resident aliens. The context clearly indicates that nationals of the United States are non-resident aliens. Further, the 1040NR mentioned U.S. nationals for years on the face of the form, until 2018, 
as a type of non-resident alien. Title VIII of the United States Code defines national of the United States to include citizens of the United States. A-22, the term national of the United States, means A, a citizen of the United States, or B, a person who, though not a citizen of the United States, owes a permanent allegiance to the United States. So it seems every American citizen has a choice every year between United States person income tax status and non-resident alien status for federal income tax purposes. Your choice of income tax return form is how you communicate your choice of status. If you don't file anything, and you only filed 1040 before, or you have never filed any return, the IRS will presume that your SSN belongs to United States person per regulations at 26 CFR 301.6109-1G. G. Special rules for taxpayer identifying numbers issued to foreign persons. 1. General rule. 1. Social security number. A social security number is generally identified in the records and database of the Internal Revenue Service as a number belonging to a U.S. citizen or resident alien individual. A person may establish a different status for the number by providing proof of foreign status with the Internal Revenue Service under such procedures as the Internal Revenue Service shall prescribe, including the use of a form as the Internal Revenue Service may specify. Upon accepting an individual as a non-resident alien individual, the Internal Revenue Service will assign this status to the individual's social security number. The regulation is misleading in that it uses the term U.S. citizen. That term is not found in any federal tax law, let alone the IRC. You were meant to read that as American citizen. But as we established, American citizens are nationals of the United States and nationals of the United States are non-resident aliens. The context of that regulation makes it clear that U.S. citizen would be opposite in meaning to non-resident alien. Therefore, you may reasonably construe the term U.S. citizen in that regulation to mean only an American citizen who has not changed the status of its SSN to non-resident alien in the IRS records. Why does it matter what your status is? Because United States person status is effectively a contract whereby you agree to be taxed on all income from all sources worldwide. This would not be legally possible without you consenting to it, as it would amount to subjecting you to a form of involuntary servitude. That is, of course, outlawed by the 13th Amendment. By contrast, a non-resident alien is taxed only on federally connected income. The nexus of federal taxation, source of jurisdiction, in that case, is the source of income. The nexus for United States person is their status as a United States person. This is how Congress acquires the legal power to tax income from non-federal sources. See Title 26 Code of Federal Regulations, 26 CFR at 1.1-1B. B. Citizens or residents of the United States liable to tax. In general, all citizens of the United States, wherever resident, and all resident alien individuals are liable to the income taxes imposed by the code, whether the income tax is received from sources within or without the United States. As to tax on non-resident alien individuals, see sections 871 and 877. The regulations there are referring to IRC section 871 and 877. 26 CFR 1.1-1 does not use the term United States person. It refers to citizens and residents of the United States. IRC 7701, however, defines United States person to include citizens and residents of the United States. See IRC 7701A30. 30. United States person. The term United States person means A a citizen or resident of the United States. Note how Congress uses the term citizen all by itself there. They do not use the term U.S. citizen or citizen of the United States. Ask yourself, 
Why not?